Welcome to episode 88 of the Amanda Wagner podcast, the place for fiercely ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who want to get off the sidelines, build a legacy, and claim their spotlight. In this episode, we talk money, specifically why we need to talk about it. We hear from Liz Sheik, a certified financial planner with the New School of Finance, about some of the challenges that business owners face when it comes to money and finance. And we get some advice on how to build comfort and reduce fear when it comes to talking money. I think we all have some ideas and fears and reservations. So instead of talking about the fear, we're gonna chat a little bit about how to move past it. I'm Amanda Wagner, speaker, business strategist, and professional hype woman. And I'm Liz Pittman, a digital communications specialist. The Amanda Wagner podcast is the place for ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who are tired of looking at others and saying, why are they doing that and I'm not? And are ready instead to claim their own spotlight. On this podcast, we talk about the challenges and delights of being highly ambitious and how even though we're impatient and at times anxious, we can be intentional and make strategic decisions about how to get more of what we want in a noisy world. I have explicitly in the script, clear your throat and get ready to party. <laughs> so here we are, uh, Liz Sheik, thank you so much for being here. I am ecstatic to have you on the podcast today. I'm happy to be here. Now for some backstory, I sent you an email a few months ago and I said, would you be on my podcast to talk about the most important things that business owners need to do or think about for their money to take some of the fear out of finances and to give your best suggestions for people who are ready to get a handle on their money and who may be feeling some like discomfort or have, they're sweating or there's some like butt clenching <laughs> happening. Uh-uh. Yep. And you said yes. And here we are. So I have an introduction for you. You are a financial planner with the New School of Finance, an advice-only financial team. I want to hear from you. Tell us what you do. Tell us about the New School. Kick us off. Yeah. So yes, I'm a certified financial planner with the New School of Finance. And New School is what's called an advice-only financial planning firm. So what that actually means is we don't sell anything except our advice. So when people meet with us, we're not going to try to sell them investments or sell them life insurance or lend them money or anything like that. We don't do any of that. Um, we just look at people's situations, help them navigate all the things they're kind of dealing with, all the places that are a little sticky or, you know, sticky or tricky to why not rhyme um, <laughs> and mm-hmm. kind of go through that, demystify it a little bit, make it a little less scary um to help people work towards those goals because money is really it's just it's got its little tendrils and everything you know yes it's so loaded i mean what a what an apt term for that but the money is loaded yeah oh yeah good Uh, i love a i love a good pun it is very loaded it's very emotional everybody has some Mm -hmm. emotional baggage around money um they, everybody has, most people have um, experienced like a scarcity mindset, whether they've been living with actual true scarcity or not. A lot of people kind of have that mindset at some point, you know, we feel frustrated. There's never enough. There, we're never quite getting where we want to be as, as, you know, efficiently or quickly as we want to be. I mean, I also think that this is not to generalize, but I think that this is probably particularly true for millennials, because um, I do think millennials are kind of like the first generation where what the reality was felt like it was totally off the rails from what the, it was for previous generations. So what we were kind of right. trying to expect from our lives and our finances, it was like, oh, housing market, totally different, job market, totally different. Like, And so... I'll, I feel like younger generations, they're like, they have no expectations. They're like, whatever, you know, because they, they right. are looking to millennials and being like, okay, I see it's not Y'all are going fucked. as planned. So- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I, I do think that there's like a specific thing. I mean, I see everybody is frustrated about money, no matter what generation they are, um, mm-hmm. truly. And no matter how much money they make, which is really interesting. We see that a lot you know? Um, and so there's always kind of something to unpack and figure out both on the actual number crunching side, but also on the emotional side. 
I love that you acknowledge both of those realms and a little bit so of backstory. Important. I have worked with you on a on a personal front, right? My my husband and I have sat down with you. You have run spreadsheets and numbers and here's what goes here and how do we set up this account? So we've done all of that. And that's why I wanted to have you here because I think the stigma is that when we go in to talk about finance, we get spreadsheets, we get numbers, we get okay. accounts, but we don't have somebody that acknowledges all the baggage that we come in yes. with. And if you don't work through that baggage, whatever plan it is, isn't going to work. Like if we don't bring emotions into the conversation, we're just ignoring like a whole part of your life. When things mm -hmm. don't work, when a like budget doesn't work or a plan isn't working or something, it's not like we can't just like boil it down to something completely logical and go, oh, here's why we just, you know, carry the one or move that decimal point. Like that's not what life is. <laughs> you know, like the yeah. numbers need to be done correctly or it definitely won't work. But like if if it's not if if the plan is too complicated, requires too much admin and that person doesn't have the time, not going to work. If it's, you know, mm -hmm. there's conflict around certain kinds of spending that, you know, in a relationship, maybe we need to pull some of that apart. Like it's it's our lives, you know, and of course, all of our like mm -hmm. goals and dreams and whatever are emotional and most of them cost money. So of course it's all connected. Even though we're not talking specifically about my finances, I already feel this like, oh, okay, I'm in good <laughs> hands here. And I love, I absolutely love this. I also, I mean, Liz and I are, are millennials, excuse me, LP and I, LP of course is here. Mm. So we're head nodding and we've all seen thousands of memes that say, oh, now I see where I went wrong. In kindergarten, I should have bought a house. Yes. <laughs> and so there are definitely, there are definitely challenges to existing in this world. Liz is like laughing here going, oh, why yeah, didn't I do that? <laughs> why didn't I? Oh, why Damn didn't it. I? And do you know what though? Like I, I did point that out about millennials because I think there's like a particular disconnect that happened there that was like, we all sort of short circuited when things didn't go quite as expected. Um, yes. But every generation has like money stuff. It's certain. And I think, you know, at New School, we work with people of all ages. I do retirement plans for people who are about to retire and all that stuff. Everybody has their, you know, financial struggles. Everybody has their struggles, but I feel like there's also just like so much advice out there mm -hmm. that it's like, wh what do you choose? Like, do I have to stop buying avocados? Like, what, like, what am I supposed to do, right? Uh, so I think, like, it's, I'm so glad you're here and that you can, you know, get to the good stuff because it's hard mm -hmm. to navigate through mm -hmm. all of the information sometimes, too. Like, it's and Everybody has an opinion it, and they're often very yeah. ready to share it. Oh, yes. There is a lot of unsolicited money advice. And it's like, listen, it's so conflicting because there are schools of thought that say, don't buy your $4 latte, which I do laugh at because a $4 latte sounds like a dream right now. It's more like a $7.50 <laughs> latte. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But there's another school of, of thought saying, are you kidding me? My latte is not the reason I can't buy a house. Of course. Yes. It would be a lot of lattes. <laughs> a lot of lattes. And I love a latte as much as the next person, but I don't think I have a 1,200 square foot bungalow worth of lattes that I've just pissed away. <laughs> totally. And you know, I think like there's a lot of advice that's given like that. Some of them is just, some of those things are just sort of like sound bites. And some mm -hmm. of it is, you know, advice that has worked for other people. Um, a lot of it is not like totally off the rails it's often rooted in something true you know like th for a while that latte thing you know I mean I know that and the avocado the avocado toast I feel like is a real like get out of here but you know yeah. for decades I swear decades banks and financial institutions have done this like stop buying your coffee and invest that money instead or whatever it's such a thing um and you know I think at its root the message there is small amounts of money can make a big difference over the long term. And that is true because it is really easy to just be like, oh, if I can only save $10 a month, like why bother? Like, forget it. I'm not like, that's pointless. It's never pointless. It is never pointless to try and like improve the situation. So I do think there's something there of like, you know, a small amount of money can make a difference if you're saving that and, you know, it's compounding and growing over 30 years. Sure. But the problem is that it often focuses on like, just like the 
tiny little sources of joy that people have in their life, you know? So it makes someone feel guilty about going to buy their coffee. Some people, they never buy their coffee or they, they do it sometimes and it's really when they're in a rush and maybe they're going to figure out, yeah, you know what, I just need a programmable coffee maker and I'll be saving that money, you know. But for a lot of people, that's like, that's my moment away from my office. That's I, I talk to my barista. It's like a special moment of joy in my day. That's probably not the thing that they should be like cutting out of their life. You know, we have to find a balance of like also enjoying life. Again, I told you this would be a love fest. That's why you're here <laughs> because talking about money isn't about sucking all the moments of joy out and the things that give you pleasure and the care that can come with sitting down and having a coffee by yourself. We keep using yes. using the latte. I know one of my husband's favorite things, probably once every two weeks, he drops our daughter off at daycare and then he goes to Albert's and he gets the half stack of pancakes and a coffee and he I was like, sits What's for like Albert's? Two Is this hours. a diner? Um, it's jankier than that. Do you have, you have Smitty's? <laughs> oh, well, right? like a it's like I don't even know if we have Smitty's, Smitty's anymore, but I know Smitty's from my youth. Okay, yes, yes. Your Toronto is showing. <laughs> I know, Liz, sorry. <laughs> that, uh, very chic of you. Okay, well, when you come to Edmonton, we'll take you to Albert's. Uh, but it's, it's a cafe that it was one of yes. the family restaurants that had the smoking section and the non-smoking section, oh, but they're yes. actually three feet apart from each other. Sure, so it's all huh? smoking. Yep. Right. So that is this like piece of joy. So sure. Could he take the $16 and invest it? Yep. And it's something he looks forward to and gets joy from. And yeah. I promise I'm not just throwing Robin under the bus for spending 16 bucks. No, it's like, it's that's not just, the place. It, that it's finding to, that balance. Yeah. That's right. And deprivation is only good for so long until you lose your mind and yes. all and of your a sudden plan there's will then this fall like apart. binge that has to happen. That's exactly it. Right. That's what happens. Yes. So if we start with the human, then we can find the plan. Yes, exactly. But starting from the human and our needs and our emotions and our baggage is going to help us find the right plan for us. Mm-hmm. Now, because we speak human first here, Liz, tell us a little bit about you and what brought you to financial planning. So interesting. I've worn many hats in my life. I'm, I am a certified teacher. I used to work in education. And I also, before that, I used to work in food security. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this. I, I, I think about this sometimes. When I worked in food security, part of how I felt about working in food was that, like, food is this, like, universal thing that's, you know, not only delicious, <laughs> but that also really like weaves into so many other issues like, you know, poverty, fat phobia, racial justice, like access to like, you know, everything. Um, and part of the reason that I loved working in food security was that it's like, okay, everybody has a relationship with food and we can talk about food. Everybody can bring some kind of feeling to the table, but we can talk about so much more than that. And I think money's really the same, you know, like everybody has some kind of relationship with money. It We deal with it in our own personal lives, but it's also connected to so much else in the world. Um, and a lot of what I do is still kind of education based. I'm teaching people what TFSA versus RSP and how, what's an investment and how does this work and what are your options? Um, but really like, I mean, how I came to work at New School Finance was that actually I was a client of my boss, Shannon's, who you will... We get to talk to Shannon next week. I'm so excited. Yeah, she did this project called Barter Babes years ago, um, where she left her job on Bay Street and gave financial advice to women for a year in exchange for goods or services. And someone told me about it. I went and had a session. I told all my friends. Everybody was like, this is the greatest thing. Um... And at the time, I was just at, in my, like, education phase of my career. And periodically, I would just be like, what a cool job. Like, I wish I could do that job. And I just eventually, you know, talked to Shannon about it. Like, what do I, do I need a whole new BA or whatever? And she's like, no, you need to take these courses to become a financial planner. This, this is the training, da 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 And then she hired me when she was hiring. I got, I mean... I feel like I won the job lottery because she's a great boss, <laughs> Shannon, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, I think that it's probably the most, the biggest leap I've ever taken in my, like, work life. 
Interesting. I'm like not a huge risk taker. I'm not. I'm not uh, an, a very ambitious person, <laughs> as I know okay. you are. Okay. Oh, we're gonna sidebar that later. We're gonna yeah, talk yeah. about that. <laughs> and <laughs> it was one of the. I'm definitely like a person who I think you know. I I don't want to say imposter syndrome, although who among us has not you know dealt with that. Yeah, it was just a big leap for me, you know, like it was a totally new field um, that I thought I would be good at and Shannon agreed, but it was a lot of learning for me. You know, some stuff I knew and some stuff is instinctual and the human part of it I had no doubts about, but learning all of the like financial nitty gritty took a while. Um, That was a bit of a I love that you kind of come... (laughs) With, no, it's fantastic because it, it tells us that story. And again, I ask because I have seen you as the spreadsheet wizard. Mm. I've seen you be like, oh, well, if this factor changes, here's how it changes in 30 mm-hmm. different tabs and the number that could, and like plop, here you go. So I, I've seen that side. And yet I find it so reassuring that there is a human side. Now, I just want to put a little plug in. Imposter Complex, we have an episode for that. (laughs) Uh, We spoke to another expert about Imposter Complex, so certainly not alone. We've all felt it. Liz, I can see, is already doing her amazing job of like, I'm going to link to that. Um, Up to this point, money conversations on this podcast have been about pricing, raising your rates, taking away some of the fear of talking about money. And I talk a big game. And sometimes I'm still a chicken shit about it. It's hard. So even though we know that there, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And even though I raise my rates, I know people who, one of the best instances I've seen of this is that they have created a fake assistant Mm -hmm. so that the fake assistant sends the invoice and receives payment. Yes. Because it created some space. I've talked to many clients about that, actually. Like, there is a distance there that can really create um, some space there where it just feels easier. Mm -hmm. And there there are, again, beliefs and money baggage that we come into the world with and hearing all of the shoulds and the conflicting opinions and the, do I read rich dad, poor dad? Or do I read debt free forever? Mm. We read Debt Free Forever by Shannon Lee Simmons. Um, But there's so much out there. So I want to know from your perspective, you have worked with oodles of clients from across Canada. What are some of the core challenges that you see coming up over and over again with regards to small business finance or financial planning? Yeah. So, I mean, the (laughs) the biggest thing for sure is also the most boring, um, which is taxes (laughs) but truly thank you for admitting that it's boring it's so boring I know (laughs) um and so I won't dwell on it for long but I think it's really just important one of the things that really is a stumbling block for people especially when they're first starting their businesses is figuring out what are their tax obligations what do they need to have set aside for their income taxes what the heck is sales tax am I supposed to be doing something with that it's very overwhelming, um, and uh, you know, as I'm sure we'll talk about a bit more. Or I have I have thoughts on this. One of the ways that people tend to deal with money is avoiding it, and we don't want to avoid the CRA too much. They will come for you, and it is such a um, disheartening feeling if you're like, "Yeah, I did it. I had my first year business. Look at me go. I crushed it." And then you get this whopping tax bill that you don't know how to pay. Like, so been so- there. Yeah, been there. Every Terrified. almost every entrepreneur has been there. So the anytime I have feelings, a chance, the worst feeling in the world is getting that email saying you have a notice in the CRA mm. inbox. It's like why do they I do never, that? I never want that. Like it's, no. it's almost it's almost never bad news. But like there's a there's a well. very special in my experience <laughs> anyway. I've had bad news. It's just like it's a very special kind of bad feeling when that email yes, it's shows like up. The heart like, I want nothing to do with that. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes and it sucks. It's, it is a scary email. And the other side of that, because I've, I've spent, I'm now in my fifth year of business, I have had to work to get to a point where, and LP, I know I've texted you about this, where I'm like, I feel really proud of myself and legitimate because I logged into my CRA account, I knew my password, and I wasn't scared. And to me, what? that was like a milestone. Right, because I knew that 
I wasn't going to be hit with a $30,000 tax bill and not know how to pay it. Yes. Yes. So that's kind <sighs> okay, of like so tax is core... number one. Tax is number one. Boring, boring, but so important. Um, and the other thing that I would say is just, <laughs> I'm like, how do I say this nicely? Um <laughs> You don't say it nicely. Great. Yes. You know, I think that there's, I don't think, I was going to say there's a lot of lies out there. And I don't think lies is the right word. I think it's more like, I was going to say deception. That's just lies, Liz. Um, <laughs> That's fancy lies. That's fancy lies. So I guess what I mean is, what I'm trying to say is, what you see on other entrepreneurs' social media is likely not telling you the whole story, okay? And so all I mean by that is I a lot of times people have this feeling of like keeping up with the Joneses, right? Like this person's business, they're crushing it. They're obviously doing so well and like, oh, look at their beautiful house or whatever like things maybe here they're on this vacation like how are they doing that even people who are not entrepreneurs do this right with their peers they're like they're doing that thing how can they do that thing and and when people are colleagues if they work at the same place sometimes they're like I know what they make how are they making that work you know um but with entrepreneurs I think there's also this feeling of and I think especially in the world we live in now where there's a lot of influencer culture stuff where it could really can get hard to know harder than ever maybe what's real what's promotional what's whatever and so I think one of the things to just remember is like you're you and like everyone else like you you probably don't ever have the full story and so it's hard we're human we want to compare ourselves to others but a lot of the times when I've seen you know I peek behind the curtain in a lot of people's finances Oftentimes people are making nowhere near as much money as other people might think they're making. And maybe, or maybe they have, you know, a spouse who makes a crap ton of money. And so the, the financial like uh, risk for them of taking those entrepreneurial risks is very low or they have family wealth or they have, there's so many different things that could be happening behind the scenes that you can't see and you might not know. And so trying to just not gauge your own success by comparing, you know, what you might be thinking someone else's success is, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So when you have a client that comes to you with this and goes, well, why is this person on vacation and how can they do all this? What do, how do you kind of coax us out of that comparison thinking? Mm. I mean, it's, it, it's hard because it, I do, like I said, I think we're human. We, we do compare ourselves to our peers. I try, I always say a little caveat, like I try to recommend that we don't do that, you know, um, but it's very difficult. I think all, I mostly say what I just said, like that there's so much that you don't know or, and some of the times that means that there's a lot of other assets or like access to money that you don't have, but also a lot of times it means there's a lot of debt. You know, they could actually be struggling right. a lot and you don't see it because that is also right. really, really common, you know. And so and some people might just mm -hmm. actually be crushing it and good for them, you know. Um, great. Great. But does that comparison actually help me? Probably not. Probably and I think not. when we come back to the actual facts of it, like this is mm -hmm. what I'm seeing. But mm -hmm. but if I look at the real data I have, I have nowhere near enough data to make any uh, assumptions, any correct assumptions about somebody's totally. financial state. We all curate what we post on the internet to a certain degree. You know what I mean? Felt cute, might delete later, exists for a reason, you know, like. <laughs> um, and so, Absolutely. like, I think that one of the things I try to get people back to, and this applies not just to entrepreneurs, but everyone, is like, let's back up a little bit and think about what are your goals? Like, what are we working towards for you outside of what everybody else is doing? Not the goals you think you're supposed to have, not the goals your family has for you, not the goals that you thought you were yours, but like, what do you actually want? Because that is often very, very different from what we feel like we're supposed to be doing. Right. And I think there is... That's such a big question because there are goals related to my bank account, but there are also goals related to my lifestyle Yes, and what I want to be able to say, what's going to help me get to the next step. It's, it's broadening it out and kind of giving, giving me some power. Yes. 
which I love. Maybe my goal isn't to buy a house. Maybe yeah. my goal isn't to be a seven-figure coach or whatever yeah. Maybe the, your goal is the rhetoric to only of the have day to work is. This many days a week and to be able to take more time off. You know, like what is the totally. goal? That's something that LP and I share. Um, I take July off every year. And yeah. one of my goals is to get to the point where I am consistently only working 10 months a year. And yeah. LP, I know that's really important to you as well. Yeah, I've really gotten to a point where, especially like during the summer, I'm only working four day weeks. I try and take at least one day off a week during the school year. Like that is something that has definitely come to the forefront for goals for me, for sure. Even though I'm a financial planner and obviously the money part is important to me and is important to my clients and it's important, I'm much more of a person who's personally motivated by like lifestyle goals more so than financial goals so it's a lot like well what do I want okay and then what do we need to get there like it's easier to work backwards because otherwise we just start and there's a lot of buzzwords on social media right there's a whole finance you know Instagram TikTok world out there right now and people are talk. there's phrases that people will come to us and say I want more passive income and it's like do we know like what do, do we know what we're actually meaning when we say that and what 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 that looks like and and so I just think that everybody's tired. <laughs> you know, <Yes>. everybody's tired. <laughs> and there's such a grind. Um, and often we're grinding harder. Sometimes we're grinding exactly as hard as we need to or not grinding hard enough or whatever. But sometimes it really is like, what am I working so hard to achieve? Do I need to do that? Where is my, what are my goals? Bringing it back to that purpose is, is huge. I am, of course, incredibly curious. I'm like, what else is being say, said on TikTok? Because I <laughs> I fall into the people come to me and say, I want passive income. And I'm like, okay, are you ready for massive marketing? Like it's it's not as easy as I just want money to show up. I call it cha-ching in the night. I would yes, love to have more cha-ching in the night. Sure. But what am I willing to do to make that happen? And how do I do it well? And what are the compromises I have to make in order to get there? Yes, totally. It's a larger story. Now, I'm sure this comes up a lot on social media, and, and I imagine you hear it with your clients. What are some of the myths about either starting, growing, or scaling a small business that you find yourself having to debunk with clients? Mm -hmm. So many. And I think like the most universal kind of thing to remember is what's right for one person's business does not mean that it's right for yours. Um, you know, coming back to that idea that everybody's got advice to give, maybe unsolicited, maybe solicited, you know, um, we tend to talk to it, when you're starting a business, especially it is great to talk to, talk to other people that, you know, who have started business, you know, gather information, like talk to people more about money side of things. But also you need to remember that just because something was absolutely critical for one person, like they say, I had to, I, I talked to a lawyer and they said, you absolutely need to incorporate right away. For example, that doesn't mean that that's what you need to do. You know, every business is different. And so you always want to get some advice from someone who's kind of like a professional of some kind, neutral, who can give you advice for what, what is very critical for your business. Um, Everything from like, you know, business expenses, what's reasonable to deduct and not deduct, that's going to vary wildly depending on what kind of business you're in um, to like, yeah, do you need to incorporate how much, you know, savings or investment, you know, capital should you have before you launch this? There's no one size fits all, like literally ever. And so taking, gathering information, but not necessarily taking it as gospel for you. One of the things that... I needed to hear in the very beginning was that you can run a legitimate business even if you're not looking for an investment. You're not looking for VC funding. I come oh from gosh. startup land. And so I think about all the, the kind of startups and businesses that that's the rhetoric of totally. what's your seed round? What do you When do you get your series A funding? When do you get your series B funding? And that is the case for a, a small percentage of businesses, Teensy. not all of them. And that's like, Legit, right? probably like less than 1% of the legitimate successful businesses that I have spoken to as clients. Like it's not a large, um, when you're, when you're starting out, that's like not what I tend to see be the thing. 
Right. And I think that that creates so much excess anxiety and gets us to the, oh, I have to incorporate. I have to create a pitch deck. I have all of these things that might not be relevant for your industry expertise or for your business goals. So I just want to verify, you are telling us the truth when you say that it is a (laughs) tiny percentage of businesses that have to go the investment route. It's a, it's a, the truth that I am saying is that it's a tiny percentage of businesses that I have ever worked with. So we work with tons of entrepreneurs, tons of small businesses, and it's very rare that those businesses are people who have gone that route. That doesn't, I I don't have any actual statistics about how many businesses in the marketplace go that route, but Mm -hmm. you know, we have a huge number of people doing all kinds of businesses that are clients of new school and generally they're not going that venture capital kind of seed money root investors all that kind of thing can you also confirm that there's no magic amount of money that you need to have in the bank or have to start a business there's no magic digit that says you're legit now there's no magic digit there's no magic money that says if you don't have this amount you know you're set up for failure or anything like that. I do typically tell people if you're like fully quitting whatever your full-time gig was and, you know, whatever your household is, situation is, like if you have a spouse or a partner or whatever, if you do rely on some income coming from your part, then it's a good idea to have some savings built up as like an emergency fund so that if you're not making money right away, because a lot of people are not making money right from day one. And as many entrepreneurs know, even when you're invoicing doesn't mean you're getting paid. Uh, in a prompt manner, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're going to want to have a little bit of savings buffer there, but there's no magic number. It just depends on what your situation is. And if your whole household would work on your spouse's income, then maybe you can just launch in, you know? There you go. Give me the number to your spouse. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not looking or looking to break up anyone's marriage. I do joke. (laughs) Robin is 12 years older than me. And when I tell people that there's this like, Ooh, and I'm like, no, it's not in the good way. It's not in the rich way. Um, (laughs) Next time your first marriage is for love. Your second marriage is for money. That's there's my money truth for you today. Um, Now talk to me. I have two phrases that I want to hear your take on the first one being pay yourself first. Mm. Thoughts, agree, disagree, is this good advice or is it case dependent? You know, I think that it is one of those, yes, you want to pay yourself first. And I've heard, what's interesting about that phrase is that I've heard people use it to refer to like several different things. Um, I've heard people, so it's like one of those buzzy phrases that people say and not everybody means the same thing when they say it, which is interesting. Um I see Liz Pittman nodding as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of times Intensely. I think people totally, mean, totally. Yeah. A lot of times Go I ahead. think people mean make sure you save something, you know, save first yeah. and then deal with everything else afterwards. And I do think that, you know, one of the best ways to save money is to just like, carve it off right at the beginning and pretend it doesn't exist and then live off of the remainder. But also we still always need to make sure that everything's working. I mean, the true thing I'm going to be that boring person is like pay CRA first. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, we yeah, need to... that's why we have that account. And... Well, yes. Yeah. You know? Um, so I just think that that phrase, the message behind it, I think is like, You want to make a plan so that you're not always worrying about the future, that you're kind of having something go without having to think too much about it. That's building, um, you know, wealth and safety net and all that stuff for you. And I think at its heart, that's what that means. And I think it's good advice, but just kind of being clear about how does that work for me? And there are lots of times where people can't save any money. So if you're, you know, if we, if we don't have enough to pay your bills or buy groceries, I'm not, we don't need to be setting aside that like pay yourself first money that's going into an RSP or something like we need to make sure we have a ground level working first. And then if that's working, then that's where some of those other pieces can really come in. And that to me is where having the help of a financial planner Mm -hmm. gives you an understanding of what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. And my interpretation of the pay yourself first is from a motivational perspective is in mm. there has to be something in it for you. Eventually mm. you're going to resent the hell out of your business. If you mm. don't get to take anything away from mm. it, regardless mm-hmm. of savings, are you 
buying yourself something? Are you having an experience? Are you taking home some version of a paycheck, even if it's 50 bucks? Yeah. That's yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I see that. And again, it comes back to the most comforting and perhaps most unsatisfying answer, which is it depends on you and your goals and your household. I know it's so funny, like um, Colleen, who's the director of client services at New School, we're often chatting through like different financial conundrums as we're like, you know, um, she's talking to clients kind of the first point of contact um, and she'll ask us questions. And I'm always joking with her because I'm like, Colleen, don't hate me. The answer is it depends, you know, because it does depend. There's we often want these black and white answers, right, wrong, especially with money. We're like, yeah, that's math. So there's a right answer and a wrong answer. Logic you know, and it's just almost never true. Um, there's so much nuance, um, which makes it really hard in the sense that it's like, oh, I've got to make more complicated, you know, decisions that involve weighing out different options instead of just being like, this is the clear, you know, correct thing to do. Um, yeah, but it is, it, un- it is messy. To sum up this episode, it depends. It depends. <laughs> um, <laughs> it does. I get it. And and the it depends can start from different things. And yes. the new school way, the Liz Chic way is depends on you and your goals and, and what matters to you. Yeah. Not just this is what the numbers say and this is what the percentages say and do this and you'll have a miserable life and yeah. it won't work. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. are other ways to do it. Totally. One other phrase I want your take on is you have to spend money to make money. Oh, yes, of course. So it's not not true, you know. Um, (laughs) I was about to say, it depends on your business. No, uh, of course, it always depends. Most people have to spend some money to make money. But I think what you have to be careful about with that phrase, it's such a phrase we've all heard is that it's really easy for that to slide into um you know I often am making both a Seinfeld reference and or a Schitt's Creek reference of like just you know the Seinfeld one is just that's a just write it off you know they're both about writing things off it's a write-off it's a write-off just write it off Jerry just write it off do you know how write-offs work Kramer no but they do and they're the ones writing it off (laughs) exactly I didn't think I could love you more. And here we are. (laughs) So, but like, it's really a thing. I have seen lots of people where they're like, well, I'm trying to like get, you know, the more business expenses you have, the less income tax you pay. But let's also remember that if you're spending a lot of money on business expenses, you also have less money for you. You have less profit, you know? And so spending money to make money, just making sure that like, we're still treating it like how important is this thing right now, you know, and how, if I'm comparing that to having the money over here on the personal side, like having a larger profit margin, like being mindful of when we're um, kind of being reasonable and how we're purchasing things. I've seen certainly lots of businesses where they have to spend almost nothing to start making money. I have a lot of clients who are like therapists, right? They're self-employed. Um, and if they work from home, especially now in kind of the, virtual zoom world they're like you know I quit my job I've got five clients I sit down at my desk I hit zoom like I have a I pay my membership dues and my insurance you know but there's not a lot to like spend whereas other businesses gosh if you're like a restaurant or a retail establishment or whatever you have to spend lots of money you need inventory you need you might need staff you might need to like like an actual bricks and mortar shop that you have to set up it there is a wide difference. And I think just knowing, okay, where's my, how much money do I have to spend to start making any money? That's kind of bar number one. And then there's growth from there, right? Like, what do I need right away? What do I want to do once I kind of hit this point? And then what? And then what, you know? I don't have a lot of expenses in my business. Like, I pay for a couple of the memberships or subscriptions I have to like Adobe and to Canva and the various scheduling tools I use for writing and social media. But that's it. And when I get to the point of gathering my tax information, it's like, have I done something wrong? This is what people think. They're like, I must be missing something. Thank you. 
look cute. It's you like, have should low I overhead. Have more? That's great. Exactly. It's like, yeah, should I have more overhead? Have I somehow made a misstep <laughs> here because there's so much room to put expenses in my spreadsheet? Thank you. Have you have a big profit Thank margin. You for all Flip of Flip it on its head, right? Like we can always spin it. Like people think yeah. they don't have, they haven't, they're not spending enough on their business or they have like questionably low overhead that they're anxious about. What that means is you have a large profit margin. That's sweet. Isn't that the goal? Mm-hmm. And thank you for validating this because I've had the feeling of like, I think that I'm, I'm doing this right. I think. But like, uh-huh. thank you for reinforcing <laughs> that for me. Totally. Yeah. I very much understand the like, there are all these boxes for my expenses and there's all these categories. My expenses this month were $46. And once every four or five years, I buy a laptop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. And you see when you're filling out whatever for your taxes or for your accountant, you see all the categories and you're like, mm-hmm. I mean, some of them you probably are like, I don't think I want bad debts. Should I have bad debts? Like, that's <laughs> like, no, you know, like some of them you might, might not sound appealing. But oftentimes people are like, gosh, I'm only entering something in like one or two boxes. Like, am I like totally doing something wrong? Just remember, it yeah, depends. So, so reassuring. <laughs> it depends. Here's the sage advice. It depends. <laughs> I also, like when it comes to to expenses and things, it sounds like you can spend money to make money, but you also get to choose how that money is spent. So for example, yes. do I want the really fancy, bougie business card versus you know what, here's, I'm going to trim. I actually don't need the business card, but here's what I do need. I, I have an office space out of home that is is inexpensive. And so I've taken six months to furnish it. So like yeah. every month or two, I'm like, okay, now I'm getting the desk. I just replaced my my chair that I stole from someone in the hallway yeah, yeah. with an actual chair. And yeah, two yeah. months later, I got the sofa. Yes. But I, I was so tempted to do it all at once. But yeah. I'm like, is this actually helping me generate income? Or is mm. this just making me feel great about having a cool velvet sofa? Totally. What matters more is I know I'm generating money. I have a velvet sofa. <laughs> and I love it. I just but got I, mine. What color is yours? Oh, mine's fuchsia. It is fuchsia <gasps> and it's amazing. Yes. But I just, it's its an Ikea couch. Oh. I bought a velvet cover from someone on Etsy. Look at you go. Mine's a struck tube couch and it's Ooh. kind of like a limey mid-century like chartreuse. green. Oh my God. Yes. Beautiful. I The only thing, other thing I was going to say about spend money to make money. You know, I do think that there are for some businesses, there is an even harder kind of line to balance on, particularly businesses that are all about like where, how you appear to your clients and to the world is really a part of your brand, if that makes sense. So like, I think about things like you work in PR or something like that. Like your whole deal is like presenting you know, things to the world on behalf of your clients. And so, you know, like you probably don't want to come off as like a total schlub or whatever. And so there's like a little bit of that balance where you're like, well, how far do I need to go? How much do I need to spend to like achieve this? It can be tricky for some kind of areas of business where the presentation of yourself feels like very representative of the actual work you also do. Yeah, I think there's something about a, this will do for right now. This is enough for right now. So for example, I I strongly desire a Smythe blazer. It's like a $700 blazer. They're gorgeous. They're well tailored, all of those things. And for this moment in my life, the dynamite blazer is going to do it. For this time in my life, I can get the $60 blazer and it's still going to give me that image and I'm not going to go into debt for it. I'm not going to yeah. regret it. I'm not going to be sweating at night thinking I have to wear this blazer every day to make it worth it. Yes. Because yeah. the the money generation is not just about the blazer. Totally. And also on the flip side for the person who does buy the blazer, the one is probably good. Like how, you know what I mean? Like you can probably wear that every day. And like, I mean, like I can't tell the difference between a dude's three same colored suits you know what I mean if you've got the one workhorse blazer that you spent a lot of money on that looks great on you and you're just like that is my look (laughs) you know you can you can also like 
we don't need 10 of everything or we don't need like I think there's something there too I'm going off script for a second I work (laughs) with a woman who said that she grew up uh with the idea in her family's household of there is enough there's always enough Mm -hmm. and I say this with with an understanding of, of privilege. And I know that there are situations in the world where there isn't enough. Yes. And yet I find that so comforting that she used the example of she would come home from school with a friend. Yeah. And her mom would be like, yep, there's enough. There's enough to eat. We will take a little bit off of all of our plates. There will always be enough for dinner. And as somebody who is fascinated by the articles of like, does money really buy happiness? And what is the ultimate income level to be happy? There's something about making it enough. Again, I want to caveat that I understand racial injustice. I understand that poverty is real. All of those things. I am a middle-class white woman. And how can I look at things going, this is enough? There is a point I could talk about this, this just thing that you just said, like literally all day. I have so many feelings about it. There is absolutely a point, you know, under which, you know, there is not enough and where people are truly struggling. But if you cross that threshold, for most people, it's, there is often a feeling that there's never enough, you know, and that is also, I mean, that is capitalism. It wants you to want more things, you know, that's how everything works, you know, but it is really challenging. It takes for real active, like mantra kind of things to remind yourself, like saying like, this is, we have enough or this is enough to remember like, what is, what would happen if you got that next thing? You know, um, because I see it all the time where people are like, you know, I just want to get into I just want to buy that house and then I'll be like, it's enough. And then when they have that house, it might be like, well, we need to do this renovation or the house is not big enough. And then you want, you know, and it's real. Like, I'm not trying to say that those feelings are not real. Um, It is. But I think that it's helpful to um, like, don't gaslight yourself into being like, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, but but finding where is what like just examining it a little more closely a couple of years ago I decided that my new year's I don't know if you would call it a resolution more like mantra or intention was named for the Sinead O'Connor album I do not want what I haven't got and sometimes it's really easy to you know I'll be like oh now I'm looking I've how did I end up you know looking at real estate listings for an hour and you'd you end up just feeling cranky. And then I'm like, you know what? Nope. I do not want what I haven't got. It can be helpful to even just have a phrase where you're like, let me remind myself that like, yeah, there is enough. Like what? It's fine. I love that. And, and it's also, it's fine for now. Not everything has to be permanent. Yes. Yes. And I, I think it is really, really, really challenging to like live in this world where not to get too much you know on capitalism I work at a small business your business owners will want to make money and we live in the world the push is always like more 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 you must want more 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 you know and so you it really is challenging to kind of take a step back from that and going do do I want that more or which which is the specific more that I would like let me narrow it down a little bit you know um and just examine it a little closer and the people that I know who have been able to kind of find that space yeah they're happier it's it's really easy to say if I just got that raise then I could do this thing and then I'd be good but the whole thing that we've seen over the years is it does not matter like at new school no matter how much money people are making there's that feeling of like not quite enough like not quite there you know and if you ever think about it most people, once they're kind of later on in their career and they're making, you know, better money than they were when they were younger, they might say, like, 10 years ago, I made so much less. Like, why doesn't this feel, like, so much easier? And part of that, of course, is, like, things get more expensive over time and, you know, the rental market and the housing market has gotten more expensive and there's inflation and all that stuff. But also a lot of the time it's just, like, we expand our spending as we have more income you know and so remembering that and going oh okay wait a second maybe it's not actually about the amount of money I have maybe it's about 
having a plan or a system that gives me permission to spend to a point that that allows me to prioritize those things and figure out what it is that makes me happy. And that's how I kind of spend my time, my energy, my money and cut out the stuff that's actually not important to you that you just that sometimes you spend money on or think you want out of habit or like rote almost. This is such an interesting perspective and it's, it's kind of, it's challenging some of my beliefs because I, as a highly ambitious person, often feel that there is no such thing as enough. I want more. Mm -hmm. I want it all. I want it now. I want it fast. But that I'm also learning is different in different life compartments. Like in my family, there is enough there yeah. is enough here for our family structure. That is great. Yeah. In my work, there there is enough for now. Yeah. So I, I think it's it, it changes based on which life compartment we're looking totally. at. But I think it's worthwhile to reconsider if I really want more, more of what, more in what compartment, what yes. does more actually look like? Yeah, yeah. Instead of just ambiguous more so that I can say I have more. And it's also true that it's not always like a quantitative thing, right? It's not always like, I need more money so I can do X, Y, Z. Maybe it's like, I need more sleep (laughs) or I need to see my friends more or I need more alone time or like, you know, there's so many things that go into our, you know, well-being and money is part of it, but it's not the only thing. It just sometimes is a convenient, almost like scapegoat for when things don't feel quite right. I just need that thing and then I can, you know. Oh, and how much evidence do we have that that doesn't actually work? Because then you get the thing and you want the next thing. I mean, I'm, again, you are, you are confronting things in me in a wonderful way. And on that note, I want to talk about, so we, we have an understanding of why people are afraid to talk about money. We know all the Mm. junk that it comes with. What I'd like to hear from you is what steps do we take to start to overcome some of these fears and hesitations about knowing a way, our way around our finances? So I think for a lot of people, it's just baby steps. So start somewhere, look, and 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 by starting somewhere, I mean, we need to look at the money. We need, The first step is kind of to like stop avoiding it if that's been your pattern, even if that's like open your online banking and look at what the balances of your accounts or your debts are right now and just look at it, take the information as neutral. Here's where we stand, you know? or whether that's checking your credit score, or whether that's reading a book about finance. Like maybe you're not ready to look at your own stuff. You just want to get thinking about it. You know, Um, I think the most important thing is to just start approaching it, you know, Um, because what we, what, the more you start, it's almost like we're desensitizing ourselves a little bit to it. We're like warming up. Um, that doesn't work for everyone. Some people are just like, no, I want to jump into the deep end. You know, I'm not going to wade in on the beach. I need to just like jump. And so sometimes it is like take a bigger leap and be like, I'm going to book an appointment with an accountant or a financial planner or something. And just, I need somebody with me. I can't do it all alone or whatever. Um, Take one tiny step to start looking at it to kind of like break that cycle of avoiding it or being afraid of it and then take more steps as you go. I think facing it as somebody who has hid credit card statements, not open bills because I'm terrified and I refuse to live that life anymore. A big part of it for me was neutralizing it, being like, this is just a number. This is not like if I can detach some of the shame, this isn't because I bought too many lattes. This isn't because I fucked around in the beginning of my career. Let's just take it as a fact and, and make a commitment to moving forward and trusting that I have a team of people around me who are here to support me. Um, In Shannon's book, No Regret Decisions, which we will be talking about on a future episode, she talks about creating a circle of care. Yes. Who are the people that you think small business owners need on their team in order to have a financially healthy and sustainable business? Yeah. So I definitely think like, either a financial planner or an accountant or for some people both, you know, like um, somebody who's going to prepare your taxes if you don't want to do them yourself. And also some kind of, um, you know, I like to say that I'm biased in that I think unbiased financial advice is best. So ideally someone who is advice only, who's not going to try and sell you something, um, a financial planner that you can meet with. I would also say 
it's a good idea probably to have a lawyer that you can talk to even at the very beginning just to even if you're just having like a free 15 minute consult and they're and they're like no you don't need me right now but I'm here if you need me kind of thing there's often little things that you might not think about like maybe you need to have a certain disclaimer on your website or maybe you need to you know what I mean where you just want to have that person that you can talk to to make sure like I'm good right and I also think other entrepreneurs. You know, as much as I said before, every business is different. I think that especially, especially if you are a business owner or an entrepreneur who works alone, like you don't have employees, you're not going into a place, having other people that you can talk to, bounce ideas off of, even little things like, does anyone have a good, you know, what's your, where do you have your business bank account? Or like, do you have a person that you've talked to about this? You know, just someone to kind of gather that information. Um, even if it's just an online community, like it helps, you know, to just have a pool of people. It doesn't have to be people you see in real life, though I know a lot of people love that also. So I think like you need a team of professionals, like tax person, financial person, legal person, and then you need like your peers. Another thing that LP and I have talked about before is even just validating our prices, which is yes. such a freaking terrifying conversation totally. to have. LP and I had one probably about two months ago where I was like, you don't have to answer, but can you tell me what you charge for this so that I yeah. can make sure I'm not out to lunch or you're not out to lunch? Yes. And that's true. Truly, that should be true of everyone. I, I think people should talk more about what they make. How are people supposed to know how to negotiate their salary if they're an employee, if they don't know what other people make? Like, this is like the last great taboo is like talking about what you make or what you charge. And I really feel like the only people that it serves to not know what's reasonable are like, you know, in an employee situation, the employer, <laughs> like usually it serves big companies. They're like, great, I'll get the lowest deal. You know, it doesn't really help the overall picture. You know, everybody wants to be paid fairly and reasonably. And the only way we can really, we need a benchmark. So it's so helpful to talk to other people about that. It's what, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Like rodeo. Yeah, yeah. I was going <laughs> to say fast and loose. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. I don't know what other people are charging. I don't. And I also have a, a pretty solid understanding. Somebody taught me this early in my career, which is that if my price is super low, I'm actually undercutting the industry. Mm. And if mm -hmm. my price is super high, then like there's something about being in these outlier spaces that it just needs a pulse check every once in a while. And yes. LPU and I have been able to do that a little bit. And yeah. my experience is that it helps us both get paid more. Yes. So much. Yeah. It's yeah. so helpful. This hour has been absolutely fantastic. I have two <laughs> questions for you. Great. After listening to this episode, what should our listeners who are ambitious entrepreneurs or leaders or people who are really just kind of fierce and want to build something great, what should we do right now with regards to our finances? You know, I think that if you are a person who has been kind of afraid of your finances or avoiding it, then going back to what I said for the last thing, like starting somewhere, starting with something, opening that stuff, looking at your bank accounts or looking at your credit score or, or whatever the case may be, looking at your debt, opening those unopened bills. So if you're kind of in that, like still sort of, I'm terrified of this thing, taking those baby steps, starting that. If you don't feel quite so terrified or you're a person who's like, push me into the deep end, you know, I think one of the best things you can do truly is to meet with a financial planner and look at what is happening with my money. Um, when you're self-employed, um, there's so much interplay between what your business is doing and how your personal life is doing financially as well. And things, things can get really blurry and really confusing. Like how much do I need to make to have the personal, to achieve the personal things I want to achieve? How much, and if to hit that, how much do I actually need to have in revenue? What do I need to charge so that once the taxes come off and my expenses and all that stuff, having some kind of plan. And it doesn't have to be the like traditional, um, very elaborate business plan kind of thing, but sitting down with someone who can help you with the numbers and look at things and kind of hash things out, I think is really, really helpful and um, can benefit everyone. Completely shameless plug. Can we also call you or your team? Of course. Yes. <laughs> of course. Call Liz. Call the New School of Finance. They are absolutely fantastic people. I have not met 
a single person through email or through video chat that has not completely delighted me and provided a mm. great experience and taken so much of the fear out of finance. Yeah, we try it's to make it like accessible and like, dare I say, a little bit fun. <laughs> I was going to say fun. I, I promise. Go to the website. Go to newschooloffinance.com. You will see bright colors. You will see <laughs> introductions of people. You will see fun facts. They really make it accessible and and something that, that not only takes the fear out of it, but adds some fun to it. Now, I promised I had one more one more question for you, Liz. Around here, we use the language, don't ask, don't get. Yes. And this is out of a desire for more. We're here making sure it's the right more. And so I ask every single guest on our podcast, what do you want to ask for? You have a captive audience. Give yes. us your ask. Yes. Okay. Two asks, one that's kind of for me and one that's for listeners. So the first ask is for people who are listening do something to look at your money, you know, do something to make a plan, take that one step. Um, I have never, I have had so many meetings with people who are absolutely terrified about money. 99% of people think they're bad with money, that they're, that they don't know anything about it, all that kind of thing. It's almost never true, but I have never had a meeting where people are like, you know, I was so scared and now I'm more scared and I wish I didn't do this. Like that doesn't happen. You know, like having the conversation always makes it better. It doesn't mean that magically everything's going to be like, pew, 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 you've hit every single goal, right? Just like that. Cause we looked at the numbers. I mean, maybe, but that would, not always, you know, but it's always going to be better by making a plan than by not making a plan. So do something, whatever the right thing is for you to kind of like have that conversation, start looking at your money, um, and talking about money. Um, the thing more for us at New School is we tend to have a bit of a wait list. We tend to book out in advance at New School. We are a small business. We are a small team. There are only so many hours in the day and only so many of us. So um, the other thing that I would say is if you want to work with us or any financial planner, try to start that process before you feel like you're in an absolute emergency panic. So if you th see something coming down the road and you're like, oh, it's starting to make me nervous. I don't know what that's going to be. Like I'm, you're going on a mat leave or you're thinking about leaving your job and starting a business or you're thinking it might be time to incorporate whatever the case may be. Um, start that process of reaching out to a financial planner now. All financial planners, we have to gather a lot of info from you because we need to be able to give you sound advice. You know, we can't give you advice. Sometimes it seems like a simple thing to you, but it's not, it's always all interconnected. So be patient with us if there's a wait. We have great luck getting people in earlier, but just sort of take that step before you feel totally panicked um, so that you have time to kind of gear up to it, do all the work and not feel totally overwhelmed. As somebody who has worked with the new school of finance, uh, personally, as well as through my business, I can tell you that the wait is absolutely worth it. So if you're even thinking about it, get on that list uh, <laughs> so that you can have a spot. Liz, this has been an absolute delight. LP, do you agree? Oh God. Yeah. This has been wonderful. I feel like a bobblehead over here. I've been nodding so much. This <laughs> do you has concur? Been wonderful, Liz. Thank you so much. I concur. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite things in podcasting is that every so often Liz and I are like super engaged in what we're talking about. So LP mm -hmm. and I are usually here. We're both on do not disturb. And then every so often I check and I just see a text from Liz that says, I love her. <laughs> and I say, she's the best, hey? <laughs> so that is is always a, a beautiful sign. I am so appreciative of you being here. We are going to link to the new School of Finance in the show notes. Of course, we have said the name Oodles of Time. Uh, thank you. Happy it's, to be it's here. It's been an it's absolute been a delight. delight. Oh, yes. <laughs> Aww, how cute of us. LP and I are coming off the high of talking to Liz Sheik from the New School of Finance, and I am so fired up. LP, you were nodding along. She's so cool. She rules. Yeah, she's she's amazing. That was that was such a great conversation. Talking about finances has the potential to be a snooze fest, and this was the exact opposite of this. So good. 
Yes. Not only a snooze fest, but like a terror fest. Like I wasn't lying when I'm like talking about finances can can make me nervous and make me sweat and make my butt clench and just feel this cloak of shame. And when I talk to Liz, all I want to do is be like, okay, what about this? What about this? This other question? I want to just throw everything at her because I know that the way she answers and her expertise is going to just take all the fear out of it. She has such a wonderful approachability to her and like reassurance that we're, we're all doing the best that we can. And if there's a problem, we'll figure it out together. That was just, just so awesome. I'm so glad she was able to join us today. Me too. I know when I emailed her, she was like, yes, and can we do it in three months? It's tax time. And that was 100% worth any wait. I would have waited longer. Um, it's a it's a really incredible team of people and business. And I hope that our listeners are as excited as we are. And we have people that are like going to open some bills or at the very least sit down with a, a glass of something and have a come to Jesus moment. And Look at their finances without all the fear, knowing that they can call somebody for help. Liz mentioned some great ways to think about your money, to neutralize things. And I am the type of person who likes to help people make more money and do it in the right way, focusing on things that that fire you up and make sure that you are getting paid. I have a few spaces left to work one-on-one with you or with your team to make sure that your energy is going in the right way, your time is being spent most efficiently, and you are pricing yourself in a way that lights you up and helps you live the lifestyle you want. You can follow along with me on Instagram at the Amanda Wagner, sign up for the newsletter at theamandawagner.com or visit me at theamandawagner.com and reach out so that we can talk. And if you need someone on your team to take care of social media or writing or other digital communication things so you can focus on your priorities and the things that you actually enjoy and that help you get what you want, reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Liz Pittman or visit my website, LizPittman.com. That's what I do. I very happily pay Liz's invoice at the end of the month so that she can do the digital media things that are not my expertise and that I don't love. So to me, that is some some mental health money so that I can focus on generating revenue with my skill set. I love the idea of me being in the mental health money category. That's really nice for me. You are in the mental health money category. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, that term came up, oh my goodness, in, oh, I was 23. That I can tell you. It came up with my friend Ember. We were traveling through Europe for six weeks in the summer and we were heading to Nice in France and we heard from some other travelers that the hostel we were supposed to stay at had bed bugs. And we had both just finished degrees and weren't Uh, very flush, but decided that it was mental health money to stay in a hotel and not risk having bed bugs. So that is the origin of mental health money. You've heard me talk about it in terms of, I mean, the truest form of mental health money, which is therapy, but definitely hiring somebody who can help you do the parts that you don't love. Oh man. Yeah. You're in that category, my friend. I love that. Uh, my mental health money is like my house cleaner, but I and I adore my house cleaner, so I love that I get to be in that category for someone else. <laughs> I'm so glad. Um, all this conversation about about money, I'm I'm fired up. And Liz, you and I have another call after this. We're going to talk more podcast things. So uh, let's stop this recording and keep the keep the party going on our end. Wonderful. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And until then, we will see you on the internet. love that we've had that exit for 88 episodes since number one that just like flew out of my mouth the first time we recorded and I'm so delighted that it's still there